we just are very thankful uh, for God's grace to us today. We'll dismiss the kids to go to class. They can go with Mrs. Short in class. But it's good to have friends of ours here that are in ministry serving God. And I rejoice in what God has done in Brother Sandy's life and his family and how they've been faithfully serving the Lord. And um, it's especially encouraging uh, in Scotland to, to see an example, an exhibit of what God can do by his grace in the life of somebody and, uh, and then call them to preach and put them into ministry. And uh, so I, I, if you could share a little bit of your testimony, just share with people how God works in your life. But uh, it's a joy to have Brother Sandy here. I look forward to what he's going to share. And thank you for coming. All right. So that's the first time I've been called an exhibit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I got saved when I was 19. I grew up in a farming community in Fife, uh, and I came to Edinburgh to be a student here, and I thought that leaving home would then give me the open door to live whatever way I wanted. And I did get to try the things where I thought satisfactionly, and it really bothered me in that first year at university why the things that all my flatmates and student friends found satisfaction in kind of left me wanting something. And that really came to a head in my second year. And there was one day I was walking along Princess Street in Edinburgh, and there were people street preaching at the mound, and I didn't want to have anything to do with them. Uh, so I stayed on the opposite side of the street, but there was someone passing out gospel tracts. And one of them stopped me and asked me if I believed the Bible. And I said, oh yes, I always have. And I'd gone to church. I even became a church member of the Church of Scotland to please my mum. So I knew some of the stories, but when I answered his question, do you believe the Bible, I meant... I believed the parts of the Bible that agreed with me. And then he asked the second question, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And I said, oh yes, I always have. But again, that was empty. Jesus really had nothing to do with the way that I lived my life or how I thought. It was just something I knew about. And then he asked, well, it wasn't really a question, it was more the statement that really acted like a hook, it caught somewhere inside me. And he said, well, it sounds to me like you need a commitment. And I realized that I wasn't committed to anything in my life except myself. So this was kind of the mid-afternoon, and I was on an errand. So I said, I, I'm on an errand, That's, and I'll come back and meet you. And I got the impression from, kind of like, you know, you get the impression from people's reactions. I got the reaction, yeah, right, sure, you're going to come back. <laughs> but when I got that look on his face, I thought, I'm going to show him. I'm going to show him how good a Christian I am. Because even though I didn't believe the Bible except the parts that agreed with me, and even though Jesus had nothing to do with the, the way I lived my life, I still thought I was a Christian. So after I'd run my errand, it was now dark, because it was February, I came back and I saw them. When they saw me coming, 
uh, they were all shaking hands and they were all excited because they thought that was the last time we we're going to see this guy. So I went to church with them that night and the church service was unlike any I had been to before because the people were friendly. They actually were glad that I was there. And then when they sang, they sang like they were enthusiastic about what they were singing. And that was so foreign to me, even though I'd gone to church uh, for, all, for up until I was 14, 15 years old. And then uh, the pastor got up and he read from the Bible. And then when he got up to preach later, he went through that Bible passage and explained what it meant. And the, the passage that he had turned to was Isaiah 53. And I never knew that the Bible was that kind of book, that it was an Old Testament passage, but was foretelling how Jesus would die. And as he read through the Bible reading, there were questions that arose in my mind. And as he then preached, those questions were answered. Who is this person that is talking about? And because I grew up on a farm, I really understood that imagery of how all we like sheep have gone astray. But especially the phrase, and we've turned to our own way. I had my own views about what was right and wrong. I had my own views about who Jesus was. And it was like I had known about the cross and I'd known about the resurrection, but I was busy working on my own thing, doing my own stuff, when God had paid the penalty for my sin right, right there, and I wasn't aware of it. So that night at the end of the service, I... Uh, the, the pastor asked us to bow our heads and gave an altar call. And that again was nothing, I'd never experienced that before. And I was being put in a place now, what was I going to do with that interesting information? I, I was interested in this, but now I was being put in a place, what are you going to do with this? So I remember we were singing the last hymn and I, I was clenching onto the, the seat in front of me and I was rationalizing, this is just your emotions, Sandy. This, this is just your feelings. And then another thought, what is your mother going to think? Because my mother, remember, I had joined the church to please her. Uh, and then I, as a 13-year-old, I had tried to read the Bible. But... It always convicted me, and I thought, well, I'm a good person. That, that can't be right. <laughs> but this made sense. This was telling me the truth about myself, but was also explaining what God had done to solve the problem of my sin. And so it, these two things then came together. And I went forward, and the man who met me and gave me the gospel tract on the street led me to, through understanding the Romans road, that all we like sheep, uh, sorry, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, uh, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, uh, that, that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that night I called on the name of the Lord to save me. 
And my life changed from the inside. I, I had a foul mouth and nobody needed to tell me to stop speaking that way. I didn't want to speak that way anymore. Uh, I didn't want to do many of the things that I had done before. And I didn't have someone telling me to do that. I didn't want them anymore. And uh, that meant I, ha I had a lot of free time then. <laughs> so the pastor asked me, well, maybe you could go on door-to-door -door visitation with me. And I thought, well, is there nothing else I could do to help you? <laughs> but that was how I understood more of the need that people have for the gospel that I had believed. That there are many, many religious people, church people, who don't know the Jesus who saves. And then about two years later, I was working as, uh, I was helping with a lambing on an island off the west coast of Scotland, and through my own Bible reading, the Lord called me to preach, and I thought, well, could this be? And I asked the Lord to confirm his will, and again, he showed me that he was in this, that he was calling me to preach. And then he gave me the opportunity to, to go to Bible college. I, I, they gave me credit for my undergraduate degree, which is in, in biology, and allowed me to, to study um, in a seminary degree. That's where I met my wife. My wife, uh, I'm so thankful that she's able to come this time. Uh, my wife is from Nova Scotia, and uh, she was studying music. And then we came back to Scotland, and we served the Lord here for seven years, and then emigrated to Nova Scotia, where we've been uh, pretty much all that time since. We serve as a, I'm a tent maker, so that means I have a biology job as well as being a pastor. Uh, and some, we did some research on COVID-19, which you'll be glad to know. No, you're not glad to know, okay. <laughs> and now we're working on RSV, respiratory sensitial virus. Uh, but we, we are, uh, I pastor South Shore Baptist Church in Liverpool. Nova Scotia, so if you're interested, you can find that on the map. All right, so I, I hope that that gives you an overview of how I came to know the Lord and how the Lord has led in our lives. Uh, I asked if you'd take your Bibles this morning, please, and though I asked Pastor uh, Shore to read from the book of Acts, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. And we're going to be jumping around in different scriptures, and I'm going to try to go slowly, uh, just so that the truths that we're looking at, uh, we, we don't skip over them. So 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. And what's going on in the background here? Uh, <clears throat> David has been hounded by Saul and he fled from Israel to the Philistines. Uh, if you want to cross-reference that, it would be chapter 27, verses 1 and 2. So he leaves Israel and he goes over to the Philistines with a band of discontented, distressed debtors, and you 
can cross-reference that in chapter 22, verse 2. It seems like an interesting alliteration. They're discontented, distressed, and debtors. There are about 400 of them. And they become mercenaries for the Philistines. And on one of their military operations, they, they leave their stuff at Ziklag. And while they are away on that operation, the Amalekites, another enemy force, you can see that in verse 1 of this chapter, uh, they come on their encampment and they take the spoil away. They take the women and their children. And then in verse 6, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. So not only was it bad for him that they'd taken spoil of his family, now those discontented, distressed debtors, his mercenary uh, band, they're about to stone him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Mm -hmm. David encouraged himself in his relationship with the Lord. He could see the hand of God and his goodness to him. He could know what was true about the Lord and he encouraged himself in the Lord. He had tools with which he could encourage himself, a resource to do that. If you will, when he told himself, cheer up, David, it wasn't like, pack up your troubles in your old kit bag, David. It wasn't like, what's the use of worrying? Smile, smile, smile. There were reasons that David should be encouraged. And I'd like to encourage you this morning. There are reasons that you should be encouraged. There are reasons that you should be of good cheer. And that's where we now transition to the passage where Pastor Shore read this morning. In Acts chapter 27. Acts 27 verse 22 <clears throat> Paul, at this point, had been on this ship for at least two weeks. And in at least two of those weeks, uh, it was in the midst of a storm. And he says, verse 22, be of good cheer. But then if you'll look, he gives you the reason. For there shall be no loss of yeah. any man's life among you, but, but of the ship. Mm. So this morning, in, in, in trying to encourage you in the Lord, there are reasons that you and I should be of good courage. There are reasons that you should be of good cheer. It's not simply saying to you, Cheer up, uh, pack up your troubles and smile. There are reasons that you should be of good cheer. And all of these, the four that we're going to look at, are because of who God is. 
you, if you're a believer this morning, should have a smile on your face and joy in your heart because of who God is. Mm -hmm. The first one of these has to do with this passage that we're looking at. Where was Paul? He was in a ship. What was happening to the ship? It was in a storm. So Paul, at this point, he was under the control of a Roman centurion. He was, if you like, on the ship as a prisoner transport. And in addition to being on board the ship, he was under the control of other people. There were people not only who influenced his life, there were people who had control over his life. Are there people in your life who influence you? Yes, you're probably married to one of them. Yes, you probably have some little ones who are like that. Yes, you probably live next door to one. Yes, you probably work with some of them. And yes, you probably go to church with some of them. And they influence your life. But this is a tick up from that. Paul was not only influenced by this Roman centurion, he was under his control. Mm. Do you like that? you like the, the picture of that? It's not just that you are living next door to someone, that person is actually controlling you. They tell you when to get up, when to go to sleep, when you're going to have your meal, which bus you get on, which bus you can't get on, what color to paint your door. This is control. We generally don't like having people control our lives. But people can, by the things they do, by the things they say, by the things they don't do. They can influence and control their lives. And not only that, Paul was not only on a ship, prison transport, under the control of other people, he was in one of the most imaginably out of control times that you can think of. He was in a storm. Think of yourself in a washing machine. And he had been in this out-of-control storm for 14 days. But God was in control. When he makes this reference here to be of good cheer, it is because of what God had said. In verse 23. And then again he says it, Sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. And if you would like to go back to chapter 23, verse 11, when Paul was first arrested by the Roman authorities, the Lord told him, that he would testify of him in Jerusalem, but also at Rome. And God was going to fulfill that word for Paul's life. So the, the first reason that you and I should be of good cheer is this. God is and will work his plan. Mm -hmm. So when God tells us to be of good cheer, here's the first reason. Because he is and will work his plan. And he does that individually. God has a will individually for your life as a believer. Mm -hmm. 
it may not be as it was for Paul to testify at Rome or to be spared from a shipwreck. But the scripture says, if God be for you, who can be against you? And the scripture says, who can undo his will or separate you from his love? That should put cheer on your face. And not only is he working his will, it is and will work his plan individually. If you look back, secondly, this would be a second reason in John chapter 16 and verse 33. Not only is God working his will and will work his plan individually, he is and will work his plan globally. John 16, 33. This is at the close of Jesus' upper room discourse. At the beginning of this discourse, chapter 14, he tells the disciples, and I have these circled in my Bible, verse 2, I go. Verse 3, I go. Verse 4, I go. He tells them three times he's leaving. Jesus, who had been their Savior, their instructor, the one who'd shown mercy to them, is going. And Jesus' departure from them would be a great discouragement. But he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. Mm. Not only is God working his will and will work his plan individually, he is doing that globally. So we have wars that are taking place. Uh, we have uh, interest rates and inflation rates and all of these other things that are going on. We have people who are uh, overturning what is moral norms. But God is and will work his plan. Jesus, this is the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. But that is only the first part of his mission with regards to the world. There is another part with regards to the world that is still to come, where he will defeat all his enemies, where they will be made his footstool, where he will return and reign. Revelation chapter 19 speaks of his return in glory. His resurrection is the first fruits of this coming, this next part of his mission but the fulfilling of it is when he returns and reigns. And those who oppose him and minimize his person and his work now, they will then be aware of his glorious appearing, the appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So be of good cheer. How is this all going to work out? Is it going to be global warming? Is it going to be the ice sheets melting? Uh, is it going to be war that destroys it all? Is it going to be government versus government? How is it all going to end? Be of good cheer. Mm -hmm. 
I have overcome the world. Number two, the second reason that we should be of good cheer is found in Matthew 14. <clears throat> Matthew 14, verse 27. The scene here is Jesus' disciples are on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they are facing a contrary wind. And Jesus comes to them walking on the sea, verse 25. So we're in Matthew 14, verse 25. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear, but, Je but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. The second reason that you and I should be of good cheer, the reason it's not enough simply to say, smile, 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 pack up your troubles, is because of the powerful presence of the Lord. In the middle of the night, in the middle of the sea, Jesus says, it is I, do not be afraid. The Saviour, since his ascension and, bo and bodily, his ascension bodily and uh, rising to heaven, but his promise is now that he is with you. There's no place that can contain him. There is no place that can exclude him. He is with you. Number three, the third reason that we should be encouraged to be of good cheer uh, is in Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, 49. <clears throat> this is, uh, the background to this is uh, a man called Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is blind. And when he hears uh, that the Lord Jesus is passing this way, he cries out. And verse 48, many in the crowd charged him, be quiet. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, be of good comfort, rise he calleth thee. The third reason that we should be of good cheer is that God cares in his goodness. He cared for an individual blind man. And if you want to look at another scripture that shows us this, his care and his goodness for those in affliction, in Luke chapter 8, and there in verse 48, this is the scene where Jairus calls for the Lord to come because his daughter is sick. And as they are go, go, uh, going through a press in the crowd, there is a woman who has some kind of hemorrhage, uh, an issue of blood. And she thinks that if she touches the Lord's garment, that she'll be healed. And when she does this, Jesus says to her, Luke 8, 48, And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Does that mean that all are healed? 
Does that mean that once we get saved, we should expect the relief of all our earthly ailments and all our earthly cares? Our earthly cares and our earthly ailments are not resolved. Our, the guarantee of their being resolved is, is not guaranteed by our faith in Christ. Think of Paul's thorn in the flesh. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned today about Paul being stoned and left for dead. Uh, some commentators think that uh, the thorn in his flesh was because one of his eyes were knocked out during that stoning. I don't know if that's true, that's like a, an idea. But Paul's, if that did affect Paul's sight, his thorn was never healed. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 17, he talks about how he bears in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus. They were not healed. They, he bore the scars. And when you think of Job and Job's suffering in the Old Testament, these believers did not have the guarantee of all their earthly cares taken, care, taken away and all their earthly ailments resolved. But it does mean that a believer should be of good cheer in these three ways when it comes to God's goodness. Number one, any good that happens to us, we should be sure to thank God and give him the glory. If you have to go into surgery, so the, the ailment isn't healed, you have to have surgery for it. Give God thanks for the surgery. Give him the glory for bringing you through, for giving you relief, giving you healing, and what he withholds from you. Number two, we can be sure even if God doesn't take away all earthly ailments or resolve all earthly cares, we can be sure of the sufficiency of his grace. He even tells us that or shows us that in the experience of the Apostle Paul, where he tells him when, the, when Paul asks three times for that thorn to be removed, he tells him, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then number three, the third reason we should be of good cheer concerning our earthly ailments or our earthly cares, this is the short part of our life. Mm -hmm. There's an eternity that's coming. Amen. Romans chapter 8 verse 18 talks about our present sufferings which are but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory where we will have a resurrection body fitted for everlasting life that experiences no mortality, no corruption. And that brings us to the fourth reason why you and I should be of good cheer. You should be of good cheer because God is and will work his plan. You should be of good cheer because he is powerfully present. You and I should be of good cheer because in his goodness he cares. And number four, Matthew chapter nine. Matthew nine. The background to this story is that scene that you're 
probably familiar with, where four friends carry a paralyzed friend and they lower him into the room where Jesus is preaching. There's a great crowd of people, they can't get uh, the, the bed close enough, so they lower him down through the roof. And it says, Matthew 9, verse 2, And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Why? Thy sins are forgiven. Wow. How welcoming and how cheering these audible words of Jesus when he walked on earth. And then he performs a miracle to authenticate his power to do so. This is not imaginary. This is real forgiveness. <clears throat> How much more if this is the relief that you would experience hearing these audible words. How much greater relief to know that the, the searching gaze of God, which is like a flame of fire, no longer holds me to pay for my sin. Merit or worthiness has no place here. In fact, that whole idea of being worthy of a relationship with God or worthy of blessing from God is our problem. God pours the oil of his goodness and mercy into vessels empty of self-worthiness. To those who call out of their need, it says in Psalm 86 verse 5, he is plenteous in mercy. Not just a little bit, but a bounty, a surplus. David's forgiveness cry was according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Psalm 51 verse 1. His mercies are new every morning. Lamentations 3, 23. Psalm 103 verse 17. He talks again of how his mercy uh, is everlasting. And to those who come, he begets us by his abundant mercy to be his children. First Peter 1 verse 4. To those who he has a relationship, his mercies overflow and ever flow. They're higher than the heavens. He's rich in mercy. Like a father, he pities us. He knows our frame. And this isn't because of some force from outside him, as if he is obligated to do this. This is the kind of God that he is. When Moses asks that he might see the glory of God, this is recorded in Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. He hears the self-declaration of God pass by. This is his glory. Verse 22, this is his goodness. And do you know what he says in declaring his own glory and his own goodness? That he is merciful. He is gracious. He is long-suffering abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. 
In Micah chapter 7, verse 18, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, that retaineth not his anger forever? He delighteth in mercy. Each time we come to the Lord's table, we're reminded that that forgiveness, though it's complete and free, it is offered to us not as an absolution, it is offered to us and not as a dropping of the charge. It is complete and free because in its fullness another paid its penalty. He took my punishment. This is, if you remember what we say when we observe the Lord's table, this is the New Testament in my blood. Meaning, This forgiveness, this great mercy that we should be of good cheer as a result of. It is established by the punishment of the just one, by his blood, for us, the unjust ones. Meaning. Most of this, if you've been following the common words in each of these phrases, is be of good cheer. That's a command. So let me ask you now, are you of good cheer? I think our default setting is... <laughs> I know it's my default setting. And I think it is probably a fair observation of me that I'm kind of stern-looking. And my default setting is probably kind of morose. But God says, be of good cheer. Not just kick, smile. Here are some reasons why you should be of good cheer. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus today, you should be of good cheer. Because God is and will work his plan. Because he's powerfully present. Because in his goodness he cares. It doesn't mean that he's going to, like a genie, wipe away all your problems. But he is good. His grace, grace is sufficient. And this is for a little while, not for eternity. And then we should be of good cheer because thy sins are forgiven. Here's that. <clears throat> there are reasons that you should and could be encouraged today. If you remember David, when we met him, he encouraged himself in the Lord. In his relationship with God. If you're downcast today, if the global things are on your back, uh, if it's you, if it's the guilt of your own sin, look here. Look here. Here is the one who can give you good cheer. Because God is and will work out his plan, because he is powerfully present, because he cares for you, because God and his mercy forgives freely. That could and should put a smile on your face. Can you imagine what it would be like for a believer to be complacent about their relationship with him? To put other things in his place? We should set the highest estimate And then I should also close with this. We shouldn't go 
from this with the wrong idea that this is true about everyone. Just because I would like it to be true about me doesn't mean it is true about me. So how could you know that this is true about you, that you have this kind of relationship with the Lord? Well, let me let the Bible answer that. If you turn with me, and this is the last passage I'm going to ask you to turn to, it's Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. We're going to read there the testimony of a very religious man. A very religious man who gives the pedigree of his religion in verses 5 and 6. The religious man I'm talking about is the Apostle Paul. And he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. So he was, when it comes to religion, he was deadly serious about it. It wasn't something that you could accuse him of being insincere or, or just a Sabbath day Jew. <clears throat> but when it came to him having a relationship, a saving relationship with God, he came in verse 7 to say this, he gave up, he even rejected all his self-saving effort for the salvation that is in Christ. And the way that you can know if this, these things of good cheer are true for you is if you also have given up, rejected all your self-saving effort, all the things that you could do, all the things that you could put your trust in, the good deeds that you've done, done your work for the church, your trying to be moral, your effort to be seer, sincere, all of that... You've rejected it, that you might have Christ. The apostle says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Mm. You have to leave those. And it's in leaving those and putting your trust in Christ that you can know that these blessings can be of cheer to you. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 tells us that a man confesses with his mouth the Lord Jesus and believes in his heart that God hath raised him from the dead. For with the heart, uh, I'm quoting, quoting it wrong. That's right. But with the heart you believe it's an inside and an outside thing. Mm. Have you put your trust in Jesus as your Savior? If you have, then you should be of good cheer. Mm. I should, this, this guy, this stern, morose guy, should be of good cheer. It should be here mm -hmm. on my face. Yeah. Let's pray. Yeah. Our Father, we praise you today for your goodness. We praise you today for your mercy. And that that mercy is not because of worth or our efforts to gain worthiness before you that you're a God who delights in mercy and that we can be of good cheer because our sins are forgiven in a real way, not an imaginary or psychological manipulation, but because of what you've said. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the Lord Jesus today. Thank you that we can be of good cheer because of him. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name.
February. It's dark. It's been foggy. It's not foggy now. But how's your cheer level? You know, it's an easy thing this time of year, especially even as a believer, uh, to get our eyes off of the focus of what it should be on. It's good today to have Brother Sandy take us back to what the eyes of our soul need to be looking at. You know, God's, God's going to have his way. Um, God is with us. God cares. And it's precious truth for us. Good good reminder to us. Keep our, our cheer is not just what he said, just, you know, us trying to pick ourselves up. It's us focusing our minds on what is true and getting our minds back to that. So that's a great reminder for us this morning. Let's stand, please, and we'll sing 577. We're going to sing an acapella, meaning without the piano. All right. And uh, <laughs>